So I'm going to be reading from Jonah chapter 4, from verses 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this what, is this not, is this, um, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, shall, he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Before we tuck into our passage this afternoon and wrap up this little series we've been on in Jonah, I need to make a confession. And that is, I'm not sure that I actually like Jonah very much. Um, whenever I've heard the story of Jonah be brought up in Christian context before, I've always thought, you know, yeah, yeah, Jonah, the one who was a bit cowardly at first, and he ran away from what God asked him to do. But eventually, he came around to his senses, and he went and, and fulfilled his calling. He went and preached in the Ninevites. They repented. God saved them. Amazing. Good job, Jonah. We can all learn from something there. We can all learn If we're cowardly at first, it's fine, and we can go back to God later. But then, I was asked to speak on Jonah 4 today, and as I got studying, I thought, have I ever really read Jonah 4 before? Because it turns out that Jonah is a complete muppet. (laughs) And And I praise God that he still uses complete muppets to bring whole nations to himself. But still, Jonah 4 is a complete whinging and whining fest by a very bitter, very sulky man. Uh, And it's a good job that God still used him anyway and that we can still learn things from Jonah. But I just need to get it out there at the moment. I'm not sure how I feel about him. And that's okay. Um, I read the passage and just thought, oh, Jonah, you and your issues. 
And he really does have many, many issues. But then again, I thought a bit more about that and I, I found solace in the fact that God called and used a man who is so very deeply disturbed. <laughs> because the reality is, Jonah's not the only one who's got issues. I've got them and so do you. So we'll call this talk today, You and Your Issues. And we'll all just get into the mess together and see what God has to say about it, if that's okay. So to bring us up to speed where our passage picks off today, in short, God calls Jonah, the prophet, to give a word of warning of impending judgment and doom to the Ninevites, who were a rebellious nation, very rebellious. Jonah did the predictable thing of trying to run away from God, and he did that several times. So God did the predictable thing and sent a giant fish to swallow Jonah up. Jonah prayed from the fish's belly. The fish spat him back up again. Jonah went to Nineveh and preached, kind of, not really. They repented, God relented, and reinstated the people. Hallelujah, big success. Everyone's happy, yes? Wrong. It turns out apparently not everyone is happy because this is where we pick up Jonah for. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And when I first read that, I thought, okay, I must have missed something. I'm gonna go back and see what happens at the end of Jonah 3. I reread the chapter and found that, no, no, Jonah really is angry about the fact that God has forgiven the Ninevites. Despite Jonah's warning to the Ninevites to working, despite it having the intended effect, Jonah somehow feels entitled to be absolutely fuming at God for sparing the Ninevites and not destroying them. And it just kept me thinking, what is actually happening, Lord? I don't understand. Why is he so angry? Not just a little bit angry, but he's so angry that he tells God to take my life from me. Do you know where else we hear that in the Bible? The great prophet Elijah says those words to God when it appears that his missions failed, when he felt worthless, when he was on the run for people trying to take his life. He declares, God, take my life. That's a slightly more understandable circumstance to ask God to do that. But here we have Jonah at the peak of success, having given a word of warning to an entire nation who then repented and were spared by God. And somehow that's made him so angry that he wants God to take his life away from him. What's wrong with the boy? That's what I kept thinking. I don't understand. <laughs> but that's exactly what God wants us to think and ask when we read this, happy, uh, this chapter. It's not the happy, triumphant ending to the book that you might imagine. And it leaves us with two main things to explore, really simply, what it tells us about Jonah and what it tells us about God. And the first thing we learn is Jonah has issues, deep, deep issues, and particularly ones that express themselves in the form of anger. Twice Jonah tells God he's angry and three times expresses that he's so angry he wants to die. And I can't help but find that very melodramatic, but still, he's extremely angry and it just leaves us asking, why? And thankfully, God asks that too. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah, he says? And personally, I think that's a very polite response from God. I would have been inclined to lean in something with more like, dude, what's your problem? Jonah, what's got into you? Calm the heck down. Or maybe it's like the more parental approach of, I'm gonna leave you here to have your sulk and I'm gonna go away. And when you're ready to come back to me and talk like real people, then we can have a conversation. 
But God's got a much better sense of humor than all of us, because whilst being polite to Jonah, he still manages to wind him up by growing a plant over him, giving him the comfort he so desires, then killing the plant in the heat of the day, sending Jonah over the edge of frustration and sulkiness. Fair play from God. But (laughs) again, we're left asking, what are those issues bubbling under the surface that produce so much anger? And I'm going to make some speculations. And firstly, maybe Jonah felt like a fool. Maybe he felt a bit embarrassed, maybe more than actually a bit embarrassed. Maybe he felt very embarrassed that he, he stood up in front of this rebellious nation, and not just on one occasion. It, that chapter talks about him kind of walking through the distance of Nineveh, declaring to people that in 40 days, God's going to put an end to their nation. And Jonah really did want God to put an end to the nation, but that's a whole other issue. But he went on declaring that this is going to happen, and it didn't happen. And maybe, maybe that left him in a pool of embarrassment and shame, and that made him angry, that made him feel like a fool. Or maybe Jonah was unwilling to share God with the Ninevites. It's pretty apparent that he, Jonah didn't like the fact that this Gentile nation, this non-Jewish nation, were being spared by God. Jonah wanted God to be the God of the Israelites, and only the Israelites. He was Israel's God. They were the chosen people. They were the ones God loved. Or maybe Jonah was just angry about the fact that people who didn't deserve to be spared were spared. Maybe his issue was that he saw the Israelites as a holier, greater nation than the Gentiles, and so thought so that the thought of God showing them favor and compassion and kindness made Jonah angry, because in his eyes, they were nothing but wicked and would always be wicked. And worst of all, maybe Jonah didn't like that God was God. And that because God is God, he carries all power and authority, that he is the only righteous judge. He is the creator of the earth and all mankind. He has the final say, and maybe Jonah has issues with that too. And there are probably thousands of other reasons he was angry with God, but I wonder for us, what are those things going on under the surface that make us angry? What are those thoughts we have or situations we encounter or memories we hold on to or people we know that boil up anger inside of us? And particularly in Jonah's case, who are the people that God extends forgiveness to, shows compassion towards and is merciful with that makes us angry? You know, the person who broke your heart God loves them as much as he loves you. The boss that bullied you, God loves them as much as he loves you. The parent that neglected you or the friend who's always selfish or that colleague who always tried to outdo you or the person who would leave you hateful comments on Instagram or the neighbor who leaves his garden to overspill into yours or the person who cuts in front of you in the queue or the customer who complains about how you make coffee or the world leaders who start wars or throw secret parties, God loves them. When and if they turn to him, he will be gracious and compassionate towards them because he loves them. How does that make you feel? And I caveat that all for a second by saying that in no way does God condone the wrong that those people have done to you or to nations or to the world. He in no way praises people for their sin. But just, and just like with the Ninevites, he's prepared to wipe people out. But when we repent, 
He has compassion on us and he shows us mercy. And that goes the same for all of these people. When they come to the Lord, he has compassion on them and he shows them mercy. And maybe when we put it in that light, we can understand a little bit more where Jonah's anger comes from. It's really hard to fight off the temptation of playing judge ourselves, of deciding who should be forgiven and who shouldn't, to decide who's worthy of receiving grace and kindness and who should be cold-shouldered forever. You know, I, I confess there have been times in my walk with Jesus, particularly when I was a little bit earlier on in my faith, where I'd had a really negative encounter with someone during the week, and then I'd, I'd seen them at church on a Sunday, and you know, they'd been really going for it in worship, and then they were crying in prayer ministry, and my first honest thought was, God, don't believe them. They're lying. They don't really love you. They're not really that holy. Don't give them the time of day. Come and love me and say, meet with me, Holy Spirit. And as much as that person might have really been nasty and rude to me in the week, it doesn't change the fact that God loves them and that I am not the ultimate judge. We can't let our anger cloud who's judge. And we'll get onto the nature of that judge a little bit more in a minute. But the other thing we learn from all of this anger going on in Jonah is that there's two types of anger in a nutshell. There's internalized anger and externalized anger. And we're all prone to doing one a little bit more than the other. And they tend to come in quite distinctive ways. And externalized anger often looks explosive. It looks violent and very visible. Whereas internalized anger looks a lot more like what's happening with Jonah here. It, it affects our thoughts, our judgment. It brings about intrusive thinking. There's even a lot of research to say, not always, but quite a lot of the time, that depression is just anger suppressed. And violence or depression, neither of these sound like a good option to me. But I was reminded by a friend this week that all emotions are healthy. It's healthy to feel them all, but what we do with them is what makes them healthy or unhealthy. And that's exactly what we see here with Jonah, a completely unhealthy response to feeling angry. Not only is he so angry that he wants to die, but he then sets up camp to watch over Nineveh pretty much with the hope that God will still burn it all up and destroy them. And he'll just sit and observe it all happen. How smug and how desperate. His anger was so internalized that he was depressed and suicidal and desperate for God to destroy people to get what he wanted. And then he was angry with God for letting a plant die. He wanted shade from the heat and wanted his own comfort and well-being, and yet at the same time was sat watching and wishing the Ninevites would just feel that same heat, that same full force of the sun and burn up. How messed up is that? But that's what undealt anger can do inside of us, particularly when we let it stew, when we, when we role play in our minds all the ways we wanna get back at someone or all the things that we should say to them or even all the things we want God to do to them to put them in their right place. And it's so easy to disguise that up in other things, but if we let it fester, if we let it start wrapping around our hearts or leave it pumping through our veins, then it will eat us up like Jonah. And in metaphorical terms, uh, these two types of anger are often characterized by people either being a rhino or a hedgehog. Uh, so rhinos will externalize that anger, kind of bulldozing in in a rhino kind of way, and hedgehogs will internalize, curl up in their little ball, puff their spikes out. Um, given that frosty exterior. Uh, and I'll be honest with you today and say I'm definitely more of a hedgehog than a rhino. Might be surprising because I'm from Essex, but I do, you know, 
like go raging in on all occasions. Um, and, and whilst I'll internalize and internalize, uh, but definitely fantasize about exploding at someone, I'll never do it. I'll just let it keep getting pushed down and in the hope that it all goes away. But once in a blue moon, if I do that enough, I will eventually rhino. Uh, and on one particular occasion, because I'd hedgehogged for so long, my rhino came out. I used to do um, a bit of musical theater back in the day. Um, and we'd hit the week known as show week. Probably the most stressful week for any theater person known to man. Stakes are high, pressure is high, energy is zapped. All the problems that could go wrong normally do go wrong in that week. Everyone is on edge, a bit testy. And on this particular show week, I had a few big degree deadlines happening at the same time. And so I'd done two all-nighters in a row, unadvisable, um, amongst all the hours worth of rehearsals. And then came the biggest rhino moment of my entire life. And it could have been more ironically dramatic if you tried happening in the middle of a show week. I know how this sounds. But despite my lack of sleep, someone thought it would be a good idea to call me in to mediate an argument taking place between two of the theater team. I explained, I am not in the right headspace for this. I haven't slept. But they insisted, so in I go. There I was, trying to unpack what's happening, trying to get each side to listen to each other, trying to dig up the problems, trying to get to a helpful middle ground. Um, but what was difficult for me in that moment is that my interactions with one of these particular people during that week hadn't been great, and I'd already begun internalizing some of my anger. Emotions were high. I wasn't getting any further in helping them resolve things. When in a frustrated outburst, this particular team member made the comment of all comments that just made me snap. I'd never felt that feeling before, and I hope I never feel it again. But something came over me, and I screamed. I'm talking full toddler tantrum kind of scream. I said some words not to be repeated in this setting and some very unkind remark. And then as my big kind of mic drop moment, I gave one loud last scream. I threw something at the wall and I stormed out of the doors at the back in my cute peppy little cheerleader outfit that I was in practicing our dress run. And I got outside and I stormed out the doors and it was dark and it was raining. And I, I felt that initial irony of how unbelievably dramatic and movie-like this whole moment was. But then as it all calmed down, I just felt completely rubbish. I dreamt all week of just bursting open and letting rip, and I did. And I can honestly say there was nothing good about it. Nothing about it was godly or fruitful or constructive. And whilst I was not completely to blame for what was taking place, I was completely to blame for my own actions because I'd let that anger fester. I hadn't brought it to God, because I'd almost found more comfort in stewing on it than I had in letting it go. I'd set up my own camp of watching and hoping that God would intervene, and when he didn't, I took matters into my own hands, and it, I definitely didn't handle it well. But, thankfully, there's a but coming, but in his kindness, God turned my mistake around, God brought genuine reconciliation off the back of my outburst. And none of that is because I was right in exploding and being angry. We were only reconciled because God is gracious and kind and compassionate. And that's where this chapter also teaches us about what God's like. And we learn 
Joan has issues. And that God cares about the cows. Don't worry, I'm not calling us all cows. But while Jonah has issues and doesn't care about anyone but himself, we see that God cares about everyone, including the cows, including us. We learn that God is all he says he is. In our passage, we hear Jonah confess, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he's angry that God is being all that he said he would be. And to the Jews at this time, this description of God was the number one revelation of who God is. This is the explanation of what it means for God to be the great I am. This is who he is. And we hear it first in Exodus 34, in the story of Moses, in the holy moment where God is giving Moses the commandments to write down and then goes on to make his covenant with him. In the middle of all of that, Moses exclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is then repeated several times throughout the Old Testament in various forms because this is the big summary statement of who God is. If God had to write an Instagram bio, this would be it. And it's so easy to just think of God in the Old Testament as being full of anger and wrath and just raining down fire on everyone and being quick to anger and hardly loving. But it couldn't be further from the truth. And we've just seen that again in Jonah's story. God offered the warning to Ninevites out of love. And then when they responded to that and they repented, God showed them grace and compassion and love. He really is slow to anger. Yes, the Old Testament has a lot of stories of God raining down wrath, but that's always the final outcome of him having extended multiple chances or warnings or opportunities to repent that haven't been accepted by the person or the people that then results in their destruction. He's always slow to anger. He is always gracious first, compassionate first, loving first. Even with Moni Moni Jonah, even at Jonah's most miserable, most ungrateful, most unfaithful, God is merciful towards him. He should have struck him down for being disobedient early on, but he didn't. He gave him a chance to come back to Nineveh And he even provided him the option of shade in the middle of his angry episode. And he even provides Jonah a love-filled explanation of why it's a bit ridiculous and nonsensical for him to be angry about this whole situation. God says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And then he asks, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God cares about the cows. In other words, if you, Jonah, are already showing so much care over a plant that you didn't create and you didn't put any effort into growing, how much more then shall I create a God, the one who made the Ninevites, the people who still don't yet know right from wrong, care about them and also the cattle. See, he's not all anger and wrath. He's full of care. And maybe you've been feeling this week or this month or your entire life that God doesn't care about you. But he does. If he even cares for the cows, then he definitely cares about you. How do you know this? Because Jesus Christ died for you. Whilst Jonah sat on a hill wishing 
for destruction. Jesus went up a hill and died to end our destruction. He's a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he cares about you. And also you can trust him. Why? Because he didn't send the fire and the brimstones and the terror. When the people repented, God relented. He is all that he says he is. He's never failed to uphold that. He is and always has been and always will be who he says he is. Shouldn't I care? This is how the whole book ends with the question Shouldn't I care, Jonah? Shouldn't I care about these people that I made that don't yet know the right way? Some theologians even think the 120,000 refers to children. Jonah, shouldn't I care about the children? Shouldn't I care even for the cattle? And why does it end with the question? Because the same question is then asked of us. Shouldn't you care? And if we do care, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to show grace and compassion? How are we going to practice being slow to anger? And the good news is God helps us with that. We have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. God is the ultimate guru and master of anger management. He teaches us to pray. He teaches us to cast our burdens on him. He teaches us to be reconciled with our brother and sister. In other words, to talk it out. He teaches us to take the plank out of our own eye first, to let him come and search our heart first before we burn with anger towards someone else. The Bible itself is a beautiful anger management tool. Reading the words of life can bring us peace, but it can also contain all of these other amazing ways that we can let God help us to be people who are abounding in love and not pumping with anger. And so I wonder what that looks like for you this week. What does it look like for you to be slow to anger? To face that person who normally makes you frustrated and show them love. To not stew on that unresolved situation. To not map out in your mind everything you're going to say to someone when you get the chance. To not lash out in violence. To not play judge and tell God who he should and shouldn't forgive. What does it look like for you this week to look out over this city like God looked out over Nineveh and have nothing but eyes full of compassion, grace, and love? To look out over God's creation and ask, shouldn't I care? But we really only can begin to start doing that with God's help. So as we are about to come to the communion table together, why don't we stand and we're just going to pray for God's help in knowing how to do this better. Father, we thank you that you are all that you say that you are. Thank you that you are compassionate and kind, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And Lord, we want to be more like that too. We don't want to be full of anger like Jonah but we want to be full of all of these beautiful things that you are. So I just pray now, Father, as we uh, come to your table, would you begin to help us prepare our hearts to do that, Jesus? Would you fill us with the things that we need to be more like you? And would you help us to repent of the things that make us definitely not like you? Would you come now, Holy Spirit?